The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. In space, a supercluster forms massive structures of galaxies called filaments, or supercluster complexes. Here in BC, the Canadian Digital Supercluster was designed to build networks of big and small tech companies to develop, scale, and unleash digital technology breakthroughs. So says Sue Pace, the CEO of the Digital Supercluster. The initiative is a joint Canadian government and member collective that was designed to bring together business, academia, community, and government agencies to work on and solve some of our biggest challenges. Pace says we have more than 1,100 members and growing who are dedicated to advancing net zero technologies, securing food supply chains, building a healthier Canada, and developing a skilled workforce. Since its inception, the Digital Supercluster has supported over 490 projects that are valued at more than $3.5 billion a number that includes more than 80 COVID-19 response projects. And in 2022, the federal government committed to investing another $750 million through to 2028 in the five different innovative or innovation clusters. I invited Sue Pesh of BC's Digital Technology Supercluster to join me for a conversation that matters on the progress and challenges of developing Silicon North. Sue, welcome. Thank you. It's a great big hairy audacious dream, isn't it, to be able to create a supercluster. I mean, it's an idea and we want it to be there whole complete when we say it's there, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's it's one of the most exciting and meaningful challenges I've I've had in my career. And what better way to build a better British Columbia and a better Canada than to help find ways for Canadian companies to grow by developing and deploying world-leading technologies that solve some of society's and industry's biggest challenges. That's fun. <laughs> I, know, I know. Nice aspiration. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I understand about the tech sector is they've always been very careful about kind of guarding, uh, well, those are my tech geniuses, they're not mm -hmm. yours. Mm -hmm. And But what we're talking about is bringing together a collaborative environment. How do you start to, like, you started with a clean slate. Mm -hmm. What were the steps that you went through to start to build this environment? Mm -hmm. Well, there's no doubt that the model is different. Uh, the model is based on three elements that are brand new to the Canadian innovation space. First is collaborative innovation. So we don't invest in a single organization or a single idea. We base our activity on the theory that we'll solve big problems better together than we will on our own. Not every organization wants to participate around that kind of table. So that's the first thing is, is collaborative innovation is hard. When it works, it produces brilliant results. The second thing is this is based on um, a sharing of the benefits and the product of the collaborative innovation. So it's based on if a product, if IP is developed, we share that around the table. And again, that's different from historical views of the tech sector. It's, it's mine, it's all mine. This, is, this breaks down that, that perspective. The third is we invest in results. 
Historically across Canada, we've had a supply-based innovation approach where we develop technology and then we try and go and sell it. And we invest in the idea. In our organization, we bring these organizations around the table to solve a big problem, so demand-based innovation rather than supply-based. And once you've created your idea and you've put in a proposal to the cluster and it's gone through independent review and you're selected, the first conversation is congratulations, you're selected, you put your money in first. The private sector must invest in the project and deliver results before there is any co-investment from the cluster. We're stewards of taxpayers' dollars. We take that responsibility extremely seriously. No results, no investment. The result of all that is you get products and services that are actually solving big problems and are being deployed across the province, across the country, and around the world. So help me understand a little bit better how that works. You say you, you put forward a uh, particular challenge or uh, problem that needs to be solved, and it's almost as though you're putting it out to tender saying, okay, you can be a part of this, but you gotta pay to be a part of it, and if it works, well then you're gonna get money back. Do I, do I have that right? Uh, almost, the, pro the problems aren't solely within our domain. Uh, the problems are problems that are identified by industry, by society, by governments. For example, how do you improve access to healthcare services? How do you improve the outcomes from our healthcare system? How do we access critical minerals that are essential for moving to a net zero, uh, a net zero environment? How do, we, how do we engage people who are on the margins of the workforce, people who are not just underrepresented in the workforce, but don't have the pathway to get in the workforce. How do we get them included in the workforce? These are big societal and industry problems that come from us, but they also come from our members. And, and we do put those out there as challenges and then see who comes to the table. Sometimes only two or three, but sometimes a couple hundred. Got to get you to hang on for a second while we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. So what was, you know, I cited in my introduction there that um, there were more than 80 uh, COVID-19 response related projects. What were some of those projects and how did they pan out? Yeah, so uh, to give you just a sense of, of how the COVID-19 program came out, a, a lot of folks, when they get into a mindset, you're going to follow a path until you get to the end. And then I think for most of society and industry, in came COVID and nobody saw that coming. So we got a call from Ottawa uh, March 16th, so just wow. a few days after things really started to uh, shut down. And the question was, can you help with COVID? And um, as a Canadian citizen, there's only one response to that. Sure, what did you have in mind? And, uh, and we went out to our membership at the time, a few hundred organizations, and we said, what are some of the biggest challenges and what are some of the biggest problems we can see coming out of COVID? And within about five weeks, we had 400 qualifying proposals. These are proposals that have already been reviewed. 400 qualifying proposals with an investment value of $1.4 billion. 
we had $60 million to invest. Mm -hmm. uh, so industry and academia were ready to lean in. And, uh, and the result of having that many proposals come forward was we really did pick the best of the best. Uh, one of the ones that I'm going to summarize for you, one of the projects that we picked uh, is, is led by a company called DNA Stack, a small uh, genomic company in uh, Ontario. And they said one of the biggest challenges we're going to have in COVID is the lack of ability to share research data on the evolution of the virus because there's a very well entrenched and well understood desire for researchers to protect and control the research for all kinds of good reasons. And these folks said if we bring a lot of some universities and some uh, academics around the table, maybe we can build a way of sharing information and sharing research without the owner of that research losing control over it. This was an idea that was way out there. Fast forward a couple of years, uh, Viral AI is the world's first federated data platform that allows for the sharing and leveraging of research data across multiple domains and multiple geographies without the owner losing control over that data. It's resulted in uh, DNA Stack being one of only two companies that was on the World Economic Forum's top 100 global pioneers. Canada only had two entries. One of them was the company that came through our, uh, our program. They've taken that thinking, they've taken that platform, and they've evolved it to apply in a very practical way. If you have a mm -hmm. child on the autism spectrum, and you live in British Columbia or you live in Ontario, your access to innovative therapies or research studies or clinical trials has been historically restricted to who you know and who your physician or your medical team knows. Now the DNA Stack platform has been adapted so that any parent who agrees to put their child's genome on the platform will be advised of any treatment therapy or clinical trial anywhere in the world that touches that child's genomic makeup. That's game changing. It sounds to me a little bit like the uh, model that uh, BC Cancer Research and the Personalized Oncogenomics Program mm -hmm. uh, has uh, employed as well because the, the benefits for the mass of society outweigh that of just the individual. But all the people who are involved uh, need to be able to protect their, their own uh, intellectual property. It's, it's a very interesting model. It's a mm. similar model to the POG, to the POG program. Um, the difference is the span of the organizations that we engage goes from startups to mid-sized companies, multinationals, research and academic institutions, government agencies, and, and the model has really uh, caught on. And, just one example, when we started, we had six uh, universities working with us. We now have 57 that are working with us in this model. So researchers in academia who have often stood outside engaging with industry in the development of products and services are really leaning in. So when you talk about universities, is that also part of the objective here, is to try and bring that curriculum and also the research environment in universities 
into the mix so that we're creating a, a more highly skilled uh, workforce here in Canada so that we can compete internationally. Yeah, well, part of the, part of the rationale for having universities at the front end of this exercise right from the beginning and of the five we're the only one that actually does this and we require in every project there must be an academic institution or a post-secondary or a research, uh, a research organization and the reason for that is personally I believe that some of the best research in the world across multiple domains happens in this country and we have fantastic research and we have a big divide between the research that goes on in that environment and commercializing it for the benefit of society. And so bring those research institutions to the table with industry to see the opportunities and the benefits of commercializing your research and developing products and services for the good of humanity. This is our second break. We'll be back in a moment. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. So is it through the supercluster network that in, in many ways you're helping to create those also networks of we do this, you do that, together we can go here and this is how we can commercialize and market whatever it is that's being developed? A hundred percent. One of the benefits of the model is you bring people around a table who haven't sat at a table before, maybe don't want to sit at a table before and the guard comes down and you realize that actually this organization has a lot of good things going on or wow I didn't know that organization was doing that and we build connective tissue between organizations that didn't exist before and this happens almost regardless of whether there's an approved project we have some companies that say some of their greatest successes have come from project ideas that we didn't select because they built the relationships, they saw the opportunities that they could have working with other organizations, and they went on and developed great products and technologies even though their project wasn't approved by us. Is that an unintended consequence or was it intended for that to happen? <laughs> uh, it was a surprise. I, I'd say it was unintended. We, di we didn't appreciate, and I think a lot of the organizations that work with us didn't appreciate the power of this collaborative innovation model. The power of sitting at a table and listening to different people's perspectives on a problem before you start figuring out what the solution is and collectively coming up with a solution that's better than you could have done on your own. That's a, that's a very unusual dynamic in Canada and it, and it really works. So, some of your members are some fairly substantial international companies with offices here in Canada and particularly in Vancouver. How does the supercluster help these smaller and medium-sized companies now develop relationships with those giants that they may not have otherwise been able to have access to? Mm -hmm. That's a, a, one of, another one of the secret sauces that we have, if you will, is, is that we do bring multinationals and, and leading organizations around a table with small entrepreneurs or community organizations. And, uh, and we've got some examples where uh, a small organization uh, was trying, trying, trying to have a relationship with a large multinational and they 
they just couldn't get there. They couldn't get through the, the phone barrier or the email barrier to have that contact. And now sitting at a, at a table working with that organization to produce a, a proposal for the cluster, they've gotten to know each other, they do work together, they do business together. We're very careful to make sure that, that we don't have a, an acquisition uh, approach that goes on with our, with our big companies, yeah. and they respect that. And, and that's worked very, very well. We've got lots of stories where small companies will say, I am now doing work with companies that for the past five years I haven't even been able to get through the door, and now they're my clients. You must have a favorite success story that you like to tell. Uh, and I know, and I'm not asking you to say, well, I'm going to pick my favorite, but what is your favorite? Well, it's like your children, right? You don't have, you can't have a favorite. I've got quite a few. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a couple, I'll tell you a couple of stories. Um, and, and one of them uh, it, it does come out of COVID. And uh, the World Health Organization identified antimicrobial resistance as one of the top 10 killers of the world. AMR is going to kill 10 million people this year around the world. We all know what AMR is, even without being a, a, a medical professional. It's what happens when a virus evolves and evades a vaccine or a treatment. That's why we have to have multiple vaccines against COVID-19. A small group of young people in Vancouver at a company called First Line said, the reason that AMR is one of the top 10 global health threats is not because we don't understand how viruses evolve or how we can deal with that, it's data. People don't have information that's up to date on how to treat a virus. You may think that that's odd sitting in Vancouver or in Toronto, but if you're in Northern BC or Northern Canada, or if you're in the middle of Africa, you don't have access to the up-to-date information right now. You're, you may be even using paper binders on treatment advice for various conditions. So these young people developed a platform, it's an app really, that as long as you have access with your phone uh, to the internet, you can get up-to-date information that's up-to-date to a matter of days. And that platform created by FirstLine in December of last year was identified by the World Health Organization as the platform that the World Health Organization will require all of its members to adopt for the treatment of AMR. I don't know the last time the World Health Organization picked a Canadian technology and said this is the best technology in the world. But that's a bit of a proud parent moment for us. Third and final break. We'll be right back. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. Okay, what has that done for that company? What, what, what did they start as and what are they now? And where do you anticipate they're going to go? So this is all very new. This, yeah. this announcement was made in December. We knew that it was coming down the pipe in the yeah. fall, but the announcement was made in December. Of course, if the world is coming to buy your technology, you have a revenue stream that you might not have otherwise had. You have a profile that you might not have otherwise have and you have growth opportunities that are beyond your wildest dreams in many ways. And so First Line is, uh, is on a very uh, proud and um, wonderful trajectory for a group of young, young researchers. So when you see a small company like that, though, take off, 
for what are legitimate reasons. One of the big challenges, of course, is having the funding to get from pre-revenue to revenue. Do you help play a role there as well? Because as you say, uh, you, you do bring funding for some once it's been proven out, but is, are, you, are you able to help companies facilitate them through those very important financial gaps that can be created? Well, what we found is we don't provide funding in that, in that respect, but what we found is that we create the relationships uh, that allow them to meet and build relationships with potential investors. The other thing that the, that the super cluster model does is it brings credibility. A lot of small organizations that have fantastic ideas, first of all, don't know how to commercialize the idea or then how to market the product that they've produced. We help them with that by putting them in this room with organizations that are really good at product development, really good at marketing and, and sales and promotion. And the, the second thing that we do is when you're presenting to a potential investor, if, if you can say, I've got the backing of the Government of Canada and the Government of British Columbia through this program and that's what's helped me produce the product, that gives a certain level of credibility to an investor that wants to take a closer look at your company. Okay, because not everything can be perfectly rosy all the time. What's, what's your big challenge ahead of you right now? The biggest, the biggest challenge we have right now is, uh, is making sure that we have the investment that we can make to match the appetite for industry. I will say that five years ago, if somebody said, you will have this much interest from industry and academia in the program, I, I might have been a bit skeptical. Um, we were fully invested of our five, the five-year investment that we had from the Government of Canada, we were fully invested at the end of year two. And, 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 then, and then you're out looking for other investors to, to come in and keep the, keep the energy going. And uh, we've got new investment now from the Government of Canada that's effective April 1st. And we've already predicted that we will be fully committed of that investment in probably two years. So that, that's supposed to last five years, though. So that is a challenge. That is a challenge. So are you able to also uh, attract other investment into the, the fund? Yeah, so, so we saw that challenge coming when we got into the, uh, the COVID program in 2020 and, and basically were fully committed by the end of 2020 of our five-year investment. And that, that does cause you to lose a little, lose a little sleep. Uh, and so we were very fortunate that we had the province of BC looking very closely at, uh, at what we're doing. And the province of BC uh, really leaned in and stepped up and, and made some dedicated investments that uh, helped us continue on. And, uh, and now we're looking at other investors. I mean, our, our goal, is to be a globally recognized, internationally respected innovation enterprise. Think of the likes of Battelle or Nesta or Fraunhofer, where international investment dollars are coming into British Columbia to support the kind of innovation that we're doing. We don't see our future as being tethered to uh, short-term agreements with governments. As much as those have been critical to get the organization going, the longer term, we see ourselves as an international and global 
innovation enterprise that attracts dollars to British Columbia and Canada. We think we can do it. Well, I wish you great success. Thank you. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks very much.